Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. Our Connecting the Universe interactive class tonight. Are we living in a simulated universe? So basically, does the Matrix have you? <laughs> yeah, definitely inspired by the new Matrix 4 trailer that's out, Matrix Resurrections. Uh, I'm, of course, very intrigued by this. I absolutely love the Matrix movies years ago. Uh, first one especially. Second one was decent third one I, I could use without about 45 minutes of it but um, we're not going to get so much we'll touch on that stuff we're not going to get so much into all of that as we are going to get into the different concepts of what the simulated universe actually means we'll have some references back to uh, the matrix because that's kind of the pop culture reference that um, you know people understand and they they get the reference now so we'll get into a lot of these different things we did have a number of questions come in or uh, comments and questions with the question that I posted for our topic this evening. And that was the question that I posted on social media was what intrigues you the most about the idea of living in a simulated universe? And so uh, if you are listening to this later on on the podcast or one of the syndicated broadcast like on KGRA or KPNL, uh, by all means, come join us out here, ConnectedUniversePortal.com, every week, Wednesday nights live, 8 o'clock p.m. It's an interactive class. You get the full presentation. You get to ask all of your questions. Join us. It's a good time. So this question, what intrigues you the most about the idea of living in a simulated universe? Sarah Yusuf had a comment here, exploring and understanding the causes and effects of change to the point of mastery. Very cool. Uh, also, what intrigues Lindsay Rutledge, uh, what the actual universe looks like. It's a good point, good question. What does, if this is just a simulation, you know, the wool pulled over our eyes, what does that real world actually look like? And I thought about that for uh, a few minutes. And basically, you know, kind of reference, you know, the image above me here, above my right shoulder, uh, as above, so below. It's a phrase that we are uh, familiar with throughout Hermetic tradition. We talked about it in the ancient symbolism class. Um, what was that, about three, four weeks ago, something like that? So if we think about that, and again, look at the image uh, the, the, the top is, you know, very crisp and clear and the reflection, the bottom is very, you know, kind of muddled. Um, you can tell it is a reflection of it, but it's not crisp. It's not cleaned. It's kind of dirty. Is that what we're looking at here with our simulated universe is the above part, which is supposed to be you know, as it is in heaven, so it is on earth, is whatever that is beyond the real world, is that crisp and clean, and are we kind of a bastardization of that? If you think about the Matrix movies, the real world was just this post-apocalyptic hell, but you could see remnants of the old city there, where in the Matrix, in the simulation, you know, it was crisp, clean, kind of had a greenish tint to it. We're going to get to get into uh, some of those different concepts this evening. So uh, let's see. Yeah, where is Neo when we need him? <laughs> and, uh, and Nicole, is this the Matrix? It looks a lot like Facebook. Yeah, the live broadcast is on Facebook. Uh, yep. And uh, Facebook user. Click your StreamYard setting there on Facebook so we know who you are. All right. And Sarah's commenting, I think the above and below relates to layered dimensions. Well, that's kind of the idea of a simulated universe is you have these different layers. Um, and in fact, if you go through the, uh, the computer analogy with it, you have the different, you have the OSI model with all of the different layers. We're not going to get into that although we are going to touch on some computer stuff here later. Um, 
All right. Victoria Monday, her comment was, the thing that intrigues me the most is how the woolly mammoth gets in and out of the hollow earth. Well, woolly mammoth in uh, hollow earth aside, here's my question regarding the mammoths. And this has been coming up this week because of the article that I posted about how they want to uh, genetically engineer a woolly mammoth so we can bring them back from extinction. Or there are some still out there in the Alaska Triangle. That's the question, too. But here's what I'm asking about. If we genetically engineer new woolly mammoths, are they then simulated woolly mammoths because we can't we, we could not completely just straight up clone a woolly mammoth because the dna that we have so far from woolly mammoths is too fragmented and degraded so we can't do it so the idea is to mix what we do have with elephant dna and some of this other stuff and it would create kind of a hybrid sort of woolly mammoth that looks like it but really isn't so is it then a simulated woolly mammoth <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Food for thought. Tom McNicholas asks, My biggest question is, who is controlling my simulation? If it is a computer knowing it runs zeros and ones, do zeros control negative energy and ones positive energy? Would our minds control how the numbers play out? Um, we are going to get into how your mind interacts with that. Um, from a computer's perspective, you know, one being on, zero being off, um, and you get into the idea of, you know, with quantum computing where it can be on or off at the same time, which kind of infinitely expands the, the possibilities. Um, yeah, who's controlling that? Can we possibly control it? That's the big question. Now, most world religions, of course, believe in a higher power, that there is somebody controlling all of that, um, you know, some supernatural deity, whatever that is. You know, a lot of religions will say, you know, whatever their God is, um, is it intelligence? Um, is it just pure consciousness? People are going to ask now, and they have been for uh, you know, a few decades now, is it just a computer controlling all that. We'll get into some of those ideas. And then Nicole asked a question here that there was some back and forth uh, on the thread. And so Nicole asked, do we choose the construct or is it chosen for us? Which is a great question. So the, the construct, if you remember from the Matrix movies, was basically how they, uh, where they loaded into to get like their weapons or do their training or you know a variety of different things uh, mouse would have had you playing with the lady in red <laughs> so but she had some feedback on that from from some others natalie mcvicker responded uh or are there elements of both a frame in which we choose what fills in the blanks and then sarah jane responded that's what i was thinking could it be chosen for us and we have the power to manipulate it so that kind of illusion of choice, although we don't have pure choice. So we get to choose some options, but we don't get to choose every option, just enough that it makes it appear that we have some sort of control. And where we see that, and we're going to start getting into our discussion now, um, when you look at something like this is this is a screenshot from The Sims. And again, those that are uh, just listening to the podcast uh, version of this or the syndicated shows, if you want to see the presentation, come out and join us live Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock p.m., connecteduniverseportal.com. Uh, so this is kind of that idea. Uh, this is a, it's a game simulation, but it's simulating life. Uh, you you know, play these different characters, these different avatars, you have options that you choose where uh, you choose how they look, you choose how they dress, you choose what job that they have, you get to build their house, you know, set up their yard, you know, have kids, all of that stuff. But there's still the game that's actually controlling the outcome, setting up 
uh, you know, random events that happen. Uh, it, you know, tries to determine and calculate how some of these interactions turn out and whether they negatively or positively affect the people involved. So somebody playing this, um, you know, can get very immersed to the point where they feel like they, you know, are actually, you know, living their own life uh, within the simulation, even though it's, it's not, it's just, it's just a game. And so, you know, people have posed the question, well, what if that's what's happening to us right now that we are in this kind of, um, you know, game space, you know, the real, very realistic game space, and we are playing that out. Um, it's possible. It, it is quite possible. I don't think it's necessarily a computer uh, that in the, in the terms that we think of today, you know, we, when we think of these type of concepts, when we go down this road, we usually put this into the context of our knowledge at the time. So back in the day, um, they may have been thinking machines where you're throwing switches and levers. Now we have our, uh, you know, our, our laptops, our PCs, our supercomputers, that sort of thing. A hundred years from now, it's going to be something else, some other technology that we haven't thought of yet. Uh, but when our, uh, when our sci-fi comes out, then we start exploring these concepts. Once again, we're going to put it into that context rather uh, than what we're looking at now. So how does that, you know, how does that work then? Um, I'm going to throw something out at you. Um, th this is where I will get a little bit technical. So I have a degree in simulation programming. And so I can sit down, or at least I was able to sit down. You know, my career kind of took a, a, a different path, but I can still rudimentally do it, where I can sit down and I can create like a basic little simulation. So, you know, create a situation and based on the choices, we can make some generalized, you know, things happen, but still random enough that it appears a little bit more natural. So what am I talking about here? Oh my God, I'm throwing computer code at you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of pseudocode just to kind of illustrate the point. So what you would use is a random number generator in, you know, in this simulation. This is kind of what, you know, the matrix would do. Um, I'm not going to get too technical here, but just to kind of give you an idea of how it uh, would work. So the top line is basically we're just sanding, setting up, you know, we want a random number. Uh, we're going to go with a uh, uh, random woolly mammoth hair color is what we're trying to do. So we set up a integer mammoth hair equals a random number one through 10. So if that random number turns out to be a one, so if mammoth hair equals one, then hair color equals red. If that random number is a two, it's kind of like rolling dice. You know, if you think about Dungeons and Dragons and you roll your dice, then what's the result? If it's a two, then hair color equals brown. If it's a three, then hair color equals off-white, sort of light brownish, and, and on and on and on. And so, you know, that's how you create a little bit of random randomness into something that really isn't random at all. But it gives the person that's interacting it with the illusion, the illusion that, you know, this is real. I have, you know, there are some things I can control. And then there's some things that are just, well, quite natural, you know, things in nature, um, you know, are not always the same color. So you would, you know, set up a little random number generator and be like, okay, so these birds over here, maybe it's a hue that you set for their, you know, for their color or how many are going to appear over here, you set as a, you know, as a random number. So again, I don't want to get too technical, but just to kind of give you a little taste of how that would work. Um, so here's Nicole. If we program the simulation through consciousness, you and I should do a combined weight loss intention without dieting and see what happens. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, 
All right. And Facebook user, listen, Mike, the real question is, if this is a simulated world, why am I dieting? <laughs> uh, because of the programming within the simulation that says, if you don't watch what you eat, then here, we'll set up a random number. We'll go back here. We'll, we'll, set, we'll set up the, uh, you know, our, our test case. So um, if you don't, watch what you eat and you eat all nasty stuff then um your random number one through ten one you're going to get diabetes two you're going to get a heart condition because of i don't know high cholesterol um you know three you're going to have high blood pressure and randomizes and chooses one of those for you so there you go that's the simulated part of it so it's kind of Hard-coded, see, that's the thing. It's hard-coded in there that if you don't eat well, then, you know, we'll give it a, you know, 90% chance that you're going to end up with some sort of bad thing happen to your body. And then we'll choose one of these random things. It's all percentages. I mean, that, what I threw, threw up there on the screen is very, very kind of uh, a basic way to look at it. Um but yeah, uh, we, we are kind of inspired here on this topic this evening. I have to throw this out there. By the uh, new Matrix uh, Resurrection movie coming out. I have talked about simulated universe uh, quite a bit in the past. So this is not a new topic for us. Uh, you can go back through some of our old, our old uh, conversations and you will definitely find this out there. I include it in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, which we are going to get to here in just a moment. But I have to throw this out there. So I don't know if anybody noticed this in the uh, in the new Matrix trailer, Neo walking down the street, or at least that's Neo. So it looks like the back of his head. Um, I mean, well, it could be John Wick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The the part of Neo is being played by John Wick. I, yeah, it's like he was like, I'm not going to shave for this movie. Okay, but look at the coffee shop on the corner. I, I have to go drink there. the The place is called Simulate. I love it. That is freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing. So, but uh, talking about uh, different simulations, another thing that I have to throw out there, you know, just kind of real quick kind of uh, sh shout out uh, because, again, these were movies that I, that I really enjoyed. They've really made me think and kind of explore this avenue and go, and go down that road years ago. Uh, but I was also heavily involved in, the Matrix online, not just as a player, but I was a quote unquote VIP beta tester. I was talking to a lot of the developers. Um, you know, I got to basically test this simulation and give them uh, some significant feedback on what was going on uh, to the point that, you know, they gave me the game for free. And um, I was talking with some of the you know producers. It was kind of a really cool setup that I had with those guys. So it's kind of too bad that everything fell apart uh, soon afterward. But this is the old crew. You know, so we're it's, it's kind of funny. So we are simulating a simulation here, right? So the, the Matrix world is supposed to be a simulation, and we in the game world are uh, simulating that ourselves. Uh, so it's kind of almost like a simulation on top of a simulation. So yeah, that's me sitting down in the middle there. Uh, the, the guy in the very forefront sitting down, uh, at, at the bottom there, uh, his game name was Arachnus. He's very, very happy because his, uh, hovercraft was called the resurrection. So he's loving the new movie title, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, very cool stuff. Uh, and it's just kind of a shame that the, uh, uh, Basically, they built the game off of live events, and then when they switched uh, from the developer studio over to Sony, they stopped the live events, and the game basically tanked. But it was still, you know, the the way it was constructed in that you're jacking into this, the simulation, which is really what you're doing, where you're entering a simulated universe. It was just perfectly set up. So it's kind of a shame. All right. All that aside, let's get into if our world, not a game world and not a movie universe, um, is the simulated is a simulated universe. So this is something that all of our world religions actually talk about 
They just don't use the term simulation. Um, ironically, when I was uh, at Brian Kano's uh, event over the weekend, his hourglass retreat, this is a topic that came up um, in the, the discussion that I had with the group, but also Brian and I, when he was doing a little interview segment uh, with me for a, a project that he's working on, and this also came up, that all of our world religions actually talk about, or most of them in any case, talk about living in a simulation without actually using the word. So when we look at something like reincarnation, we come into this world, we live a life, we are experiencing something, hopefully we're learning something, we pass away, we move on, we go back to whatever that home world is. So like Lindsay was asking earlier, uh, you know, what the actual universe looks like, that real world we go back to for however long, depending on your belief system. Um, you know, some people like uh, that have had near-death experiences, you know, will see it for a blip. So, I mean, that's really kind of uh, our understanding of it. it comes from those two different things, the, the way world religions write and speak about it and what people who have had near-death experiences um, have said about it. And then you have some people that are like, well, my spirit guides told me about whatever, um, that this is the way it works. And, and so some of that's integrated in there too. Um, so, but we go on to that. And then at a certain point in time, we come back here. And so that was kind of one of the questions that was thrown out there by, by Nicole. Do we choose the construct that we go back into? You know, what choices do we make in returning here? You know, there's, um, you know, some people believe that, you know, you get to choose your parents. Um, or some people believe that, you know, you get to uh, choose a situation that you're put into so you can experience, uh, you know, a myriad of, of different things during your time here on Earth. We really don't know for sure. Um, again, it's from these, uh, you know, either, you know, world religions that we're getting the ideas from, near-death experiences, um, you know, past life regressions uh, that people have had. So like the work of Dolores Cannon, um, Ariana Corsino, who Nicole and I have uh, both had past life regressions uh, with this past year uh, and learned some, uh, uh, you know, amazing things. But sometimes when, uh, you know, people go through those past life regressions, they pick up on something from that home world. Sometimes it's not a past life here on Earth, or sometimes those past lives are on other planets. Sometimes it's in that quote-unquote home world, and they relate uh, those experiences uh, that, that, that they see there, well, which is quite interesting. So I see some comments, questions are rolling in. Let me see uh, what you guys have uh, are asking here. Uh, let's see. Well, Jen and Maver here. That's great. Um, Tom, let's see. Games are all choices. How are we playing? Well, these days, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And series of, so instead of binary languages and math, our simulation is based on energy. Well, um, both, right? So if you look at the universe, it's very mathematical. So if you look at... Um, you know, what we call like the golden ratio or phi, uh, you know, like the Nautilus shell and you, you see, or like the Fibonacci sequence and you see uh, all of those patterns that are throughout nature. It's extremely mathematical. Um, so that would be the kind of, kind of uh, computer code part of it. But then you have the energy behind that. What is actually powering that? What is us, you know, we are we are some for, so some form of energy, um, but we don't know what the actual power source is. Like I said, I believe it's something that's more. It's not a computer that's plugged into something. I think it's more uh, organic or biological, or you know, on some sort of molecular level. Um, you know, whatever you know, generated or created the stars. So. When we we're talking about you know, reincarnation uh, and that cycle of coming back into you know this life from you know 
wherever that is. We talked about it a little bit before, uh, a couple weeks ago, ancient symbolism, the Ouroboros, snake eating its own tail, but basically the idea that you have this constant renewal, this constant renewal. So um, we live, we die, we come back again and again and again. Kind of the same idea also with the universe. So that's, you can look at it for our life. You can look at it for um, our planet. This is not the first go around for our planet. I mean, as Earth, the way it's constructed now, but we're made of, we're all made of stardust. And I know that's a cute term that we like to use. We are made of stardust. Everything around us is. This planet, it's, it's a bit speculative. But this planet was spit out of, our solar system was spit out of another solar system prior to ours. And there's at least enough evidence that guys like Michio Kaku um, are saying that, yeah, we're, we had another solar system before us that we are actually created out of. So this planet is basically constructed out of material from some other previous planet, star system, you know, they had planets, moons, asteroids, all that. It went through its life, died, and now it's reformed. That constant, um, when you look at how the universe works, when you have a, uh, you know, a star goes supernova and just boom, it's done. Um, the matter eventually recollects and forms up again. And it'll keep doing that over and over and over again until it finally can no longer, where it's expended all of the energy it possibly can. And then it, it will finally die to a point because at some point when everything in the universe is completely done, then you have a rebirth of the whole thing. And so that's why we look at renewal on so many different levels. So I'm talking, to, I mentioned Michio Kaku. So um, that book is Parallel Worlds. So when we look at our universe, okay, um, you know, we were talking about choice before, you know, the construct. I, I like how Nicole said that choosing the construct um, and what you could possibly choose. So you get to choose to go back here or do you get to choose you know, even on a bigger level, going into another universe. So the idea of the multi-universe, the multiverse, you know, are all of these a simulation? So this is the idea that, you know, we live in an ocean full of bubbles, that each universe is a different bubble. Now this, it's kind of interesting. Um, a lot of people in our industry, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, paranormal supernatural field, um, when they think of uh, the multiverse, parallel worlds are thinking when we make a choice, then it spins off uh, some other universe where that choice plays out. If you make a different choice, then another universe uh, is created and, and that is spit out. And so you have all these universes being created all the time. Or if you know some sort of time travel happens and a paradox is created during that moment, then another universe is created. And I'm not ruling all that stuff out, but um, with Michio, his ideas, and a lot of astrophysicists uh, like him, talk about it more on a physical level in which you know, we have our universe here, but out there are other universes that were all created from the same thing, whatever that is. And they're out there, and you know, some of them, you know, you know, grow and get big, and you know, they do their thing, you know, kind of like what we're doing here. Others just, you know, fail to really get going because they don't have enough of of the elements to like create the planets and the stars and all that, and it fizzles out. Uh, it's kind of interesting. So, with that, if we if we pass, if we die, and we go to that kind of quote-unquote homeworld, and we have that choice of, okay, do I now want to have a life and play a role in not Earth, not even 
our solar system, not even our galaxy, not even our universe, if we could actually choose a whole other universe with a whole different set of rules, you know, like whole, like even completely different physics, could I go there and check that out and, and play around in, in that universe for a while? I mean, we, we kind of do that with our, um, you know, with our game programs that um, you, know, you can set all kinds of different uh, you know, physics within a game environment. You could have people flying around, bouncing around, doing all kinds of weird things uh, if you really wanted to. So could I go to one of those after I pass when you reincarnate? Um, food for thought, food for thought. So I did want to um, go through some different Greg Braden quotes. And the reason why I want to do that is he actually has um, on Gaia Gaia TV, an entire, uh, well, he has his Missing Link series, and his second season is all about um, living in a matrix, living in a simulated universe. And he, I use some of those quotes for my book, A Walk in the Shadows. And so it kind of covered a little bit of this, but it, it's, um, it's good food for thought. So within that series, he tells us, uh, you know, the characteristics of a simulated world. A simulation has a place where it begins, a definite beginning, and it has a place where it ends. And what happens in between that beginning and ending is based on a mathematic algorithm, a rhythm of cycles and patterns that repeat again and again and again on different scales. So that's where I was showing before you kind of, you know, tweak the numbers. Uh, in a simulation, there are rules that govern the simulation, and the idea is that as the people in the simulation become more familiar with the environment, as they learn those rules, life gets better. They improve with practice. In the simulation, users always have access to an external reality that they can tap into for guidance if they get into trouble or if they need clarification. They always have the ability to communicate beyond the simulation itself. And in a simulation, the user cannot tell the simulation from the real world. So kind of what he's talking about here, um, that you can tap into something for guidance if you get into trouble and clarification. Um, so in a simulated environment, I mean, you're basically talking about customer service, right? <laughs> you, know, you have an issue. Um, and so you, um, you either, you know, send an email or hit the chat box or whatever it is. And, you know, you send off your message. I'm stuck. I mean, a lot of times like in a multi, uh, Massively multiplayer online game. You can, a lot of them you can type in slash stuck and you know that'll send a message to uh, the game masters. Well, we don't do that here. A lot of people, what do they do? A lot of people pray for guidance. Uh, they seek the help of spiritual advisors or spirit guides. You know, people say they talk to spirit. Um, so that's the way that they do it here is you're praying or, or trying to talk to that higher power or spirits or, you know, people will try to contact their, their ancestors, people that have already passed on into that other realm. So that would be the way that a lot of people would try to interact with something that's outside of the simulation that we're in. It's kind of an interesting concept. Um, and it gets into some of the, uh, you know, kind of the traditional things that, that I've been talking about earlier. Uh, the Sanskrit word maya actually means illusion. This is a fundamental concept in the Hindu tradition. They tell us that it is under the illusion, under maya's influence, that the soul identifies with the body to the point where we cannot tell ourselves as separate from the illusion of this physical world. Under maya's influence, we get lost in the body's expressions of ego and fear, sex, race, the color of our skin, our belief systems under the illusion of maya. In those same traditions, the idea of enlightenment means to escape the maya, to escape the illusion. So basically, you know, we become um, enlightened and we're able to escape. Christian traditions tell us something very, very similar. It tells almost universally that the world is temporary, that it is an illusion not to get stuck here, that we are only here briefly and that we are preparing. They actually say that we're preparing ourselves to live in another world. This parallels the ideas of assimilation almost to a T. So that's kind of what I was talking about earlier in which um, our major world religions don't use the word simulation, but they talk about other things, reincarnation, uh, being here for a short period of time, learning something, passing away, coming back with that knowledge retained, um, you know, 
to to live again or like the christian tradition you know we're here preparing for the next world you know there's some other world beyond this that we are going to so it kind of describes uh that that simulation so let's get into some other concepts you guys have some other comments going on down here let me take a look real quick um so and and Sarah, uh, sounds like the Ouroboros is a cyclical waveform. Yeah, the, um, that's that's really um, essentially what it is. Is it it's a cycle? It's a constant, constant cycle, um, beginning and and you and where that meets. And let me pop that back up. Where that meets, you can't really tell where the beginning and the end is. Um, you know, it's. It's just a constant loop over and over again. There is a beginning, there is an end, and it's right at that point where, you know, the mouth and the uh, the tail meet, but you know they're fused together, so it's somewhere within there. But you have this constant cycling over and over, this constant renewal. So, speaking about that, so for you know, kind of making the pop culture reference again with the with the Matrix movies. So they actually talk about that without using the Ouroboros. The way that they did it was in talking about that there are all these different iterations of the Matrix. That this one, that or the those three sets of movies, that set of three movies, um, that Neo was the sixth iteration of, quote unquote, the one. That there are other uh, there are other versions of the Matrix before that, and the, you know the architects going on. You know we've become exceedingly efficient at destroying Zion, blah blah blah, because they had done it before. That older versions of the Matrix you know, had like ghosts and werewolves and vampires and you know all of these different things, and they didn't work. And so you know they kind of improved upon it, rebooted the thing, recycling, and we'll try it again with another with another Neo and we'll go through it again. So this upcoming movie is the seventh iteration of that. And we'll see how all of that uh, pans out, but you can already see some things that have been kept from the previous. So at the very end of the movie, the, uh, the very end of that series, Sati, the little girl had changed the color of the sky. Everything throughout the movies had had this green overtone, like real heavy, heavy green overtone, but she, brought like this bright sun and so when you see that trailer you can see okay they they kept the sun from uh from the the little girl and uh you know we'll see how this plays out with this seventh iteration uh but that's basically the way that they are uh they're addressing the constant renewal and recycling all right So a couple other things I want to tap on here. If we're in a simulated universe and we are, you know, we are the intelligent consciousness in here. I've, I've talked about this before, and you guys are going to remember, uh, you know, this term when I talk about. Uh, well, I, the reason why I talked about it in my book, A Walk in the Shadows, is because. Um, Nick Bostrom uses the word shadow people. And this is from his 2003 paper uh, called, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? It was published in 2003 in Philosophical Quarterly. Uh, Completely, I mean, come on, it's it's inspired by the Matrix. The the Matrix movies are huge at the time. But basically what he says is, in addition to ancestor simulations, one may also consider the possibility of more selective simulations that include only a small group of humans or a single individual. The rest of humanity would then be zombies or quote-unquote shadow people, humans simulated only at a level sufficient for the fully simulated people not to notice anything suspicious. It is not clear how much cheaper shadow people would be to simulate than real people. It is not even obvious that it is possible for an entity to behave indistinguishably from a real human and yet lack conscious experience. So the idea, and Dolores Cannon uses the word filler people, that there are people within this world that essentially are literally just taking space so that the, uh, 
the main experiencers of that world, I guess basically the people that have souls, um, are able to experience that simulation, that world, without questioning it, which is so that they buy into the whole thing. And so I always end up saying, it makes you wonder about some of the people that you see at Walmart that are just kind of aimlessly ambling about, and you're like, am I really seeing that? You know, th that does make you question it a little bit because some of it's just like off-the-wall bonkers stuff uh, that you see out there. But, yeah, there are, uh, there are schools of thought. And the idea comes to uh, down to resource management. So with, with Bostrom, um, it would be, you know, if, if you're thinking of it as a physical computer like we think of today, uh, you would have to think of, you know, memory usage, storage, all of that. And so if every single uh, entity involved in that uh, was this, you know, complex uh, piece of code that used a lot of memory, at some point in time, that's going to take up, um, you know, all of your resources. And therefore, you wouldn't be able to, to populate the environment with, you know, all the people that you would need. So you end up throwing in these filler people that just take a minimal amount of resources, not the full thing, to flesh out the environment and you buy into it. Uh, so and there's Nicole. It makes me wonder about the people who wander right into my big red bus. Nice. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. So let me give you an example, and I'm going to go back to the Matrix Online. Um I'll throw this one out there real quick because this was a uh, this was an interaction that we had with Morpheus within the game. So that's actually Morpheus being played by a, a uh, game master. That uh, you know, we like I said, we had live events that were really really cool. But if you notice in the in the upper right hand corner, so all the players have names over their heads, and the text under it is the name of their their faction or their group or whatever. So we were the Enigma Directive. But in the upper right-hand corner, there's somebody up there without a name. That is just a random computer-generated character. It is not a player. So very minimal amount of resources just used to flesh out the environment. Better example here, uh, walking down the sidewalk. So you see myself here, DeBarlo, which was my character's name, Simlin, who was uh, another person uh, on the team. And you see these other people walking on the sidewalk. Now, I could walk up to that person. I could bump into them. We could have a little physical interaction, but they're not going to say much, and they're just going to try to keep walking on. But what it does, okay, there, there's, there's nothing behind that. There's, no, there's not a sentient being behind it. It's just, again, filler. But what it does is, as we are in the game environment, it makes it appear that this is a living, active, thriving city. All of these cars in the street here off to the side, those are just filler. You know, there aren't people driving those cars. Uh, not in, in this game, uh, you could not, as a, as a player, drive a car. Um, so all of that is just filler to make it look like this is the real world and we can buy into this, that this is really happening. So that's the idea of filler people is those type of people that are just walking, ambling about, they're just there to take up some space. So, um, in series of wallpaper people, kind of the same, <laughs> And Tom, no, 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 don't, uh-uh, uh-uh, you are, you're not, you are amazing, don't say stuff like that, so here, and I'll pop up Nicole's comments, um, yep, Tom is a good person with a good heart and amazing talent, yeah, Tom's a fantastic photographer, we keep trying to get him to come on out and, uh, and take photos for us, he's a fantastic photographer, uh, among other things, so, all right. Another um, interesting aspect. So I had tossed up this photo earlier, which is tapping a data node. But I, I, I like the graphic in that. And this is, a, again, from, from that game. But I like the graphic because it makes it look like you're, you're manipulating the, the code within the matrix environment. Uh, 
And I bring this up because is that what we actually do sometimes when we create a topa or a thought form? And so the idea behind this, we've talked about topas before in the past. The idea of a topa or a thought form is being able to use the power of your mind to create a sentient being out in the world. Um, the image here was Slender Man because that's, you know, more recent, uh, very well known. It was very, you know, popular there for, for quite a while. It's kind of subsided here a little bit. I think the uh, Slender Man movie kind of, you know, killed things there. But um, basically the idea behind Slenderman. Now, he was a fictional uh, creation. It was a Photoshop contest several years ago in which you know, it was just, you know, post a, post a photo. And what uh, Victor Serge was his username, what he had done was, along with creating these creepy couple of photos, was he put a little story element with it. So he had children in the schoolyard and he had the Slender Man uh, guy in the background and then he had a little uh, one or two line story element to go along with it and everybody loved it. And because they loved it, he created a few more. But then other people started creating their own Slender Man images and creating their own pieces of story element to go along with it. And suddenly you had all this lore that was developing around it. And so... Uh, fast forward a couple of years, people started claiming they were really seeing Slenderman or having these interactions. And so people began speculating that all of this energy that was being put into this character actually generated a real Slenderman out there. To me, a better example is actually, and, and it is um, one that I use in my uh, presentation, is actually with... Uh, Walter B. Gibson, who wrote under the name Maxwell Grant. He's the one that created the shadow character from years ago, 1930s pop, uh, pulp fiction. Uh, also, the radio show was based on that, you know, the shadow knows that one. Uh, and so in his house that he lived in, after he had moved out, people kept reporting uh, seeing a shadow figure in the house with wearing a hat. And so they thought it was, you know, extremely haunted house. People trying to attribute it to maybe some, you know, revolutionary war soldier or whatever that maybe died on the property or, or something. Um, but both Walter B. Gibson uh, in interviews that that he conducted and, you know, others at the time like John Keel wrote the uh, journalist who wrote the Mothman prophecies, among other books, said, no, it's it's you know, it's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. Um, it's not. A demon, because a lot of people, you know, hear shadow person, they're like, oh my God, demonic. No, no. Um, but what they believed happened was uh, Gibson had put so much energy into creating that character because he kept, you know, he would always write it. Um, it, was, it was basically he, he worked on that every single day and put so much energy into it that he eventually created a sentient thought form. And this is what was walking around the house, was basically his shadow character. So if, if we are able to do that to some degree, are we then on some level able to create our own code, for lack of a better term, within the simulation? So... You know, with, with a lot of games, you can create mods. Now, that is, you're basically being given permission by the um, by the developers that you can make add-ons, your own little add-ons or whatever to the game. But I guess a better idea would be, are you actually hacking into the simulation when you do that? Uh, when you put forth your uh, thoughts like that and actually create a sentient being, a tulpa, are you actually hacking into the simulation? When we, when we astral project, we go, you know, out of, we go out of body. Is that also a way of hacking into the simulation? Because the simulation is, you know, we 
our energy, our souls, our spirit, whatever, is confined within this body, within this vessel. And we walk around and we experience things. It's not meant to come out of it until the body dies. But people do go out of body. They do astral project and enter and have the internal spirit interact with the environment. So is that a way of hacking the simulation? Um, I, I think on that level, again, it's not as a computer, this is more on like a spiritual energy level that we're hacking the simulated universe. A couple of other comments here. Let me take a look here. Um, Oh, and there's uh, there's Connie. Great to see you. I cannot get this. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Stop running through my head this entire conversation. <laughs> no, it's a great it's a great question. You know, is it real life or is it just fantasy? Um, you know, in you know, our experience right now is this is a real life, and um, in in a number of ways it is again that you know the body cannot live without the mind sort of thing like you think about the matrix movies um as they were accessing the matrix environment from the real world there was still that connection there so what happened to them in the matrix environment did affect them in the real world to some degree so things that we do here do have an impact in that real world i think it does go back to the as above so below aspect you know not entirely 100 percent. again you look at the imagery of it and there are differences it's not a complete crisp mirror image but the idea you can even see the aroboros uh wrapped around it uh, representing the, the cyclical nature of it, but um, the idea that uh, things from below affect above and from above affect below. So th there, is, there is an effect there. Um, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention about um, in the Matrix Online environment that's kind of... Uh, that is kind of interesting. I don't know if they're going to address it for the movie. So uh, there was there was something that came up with uh, with the Matrix Online game in that um, you know you've seen the previews and you know that you know it's not Lawrence Fishburne that's playing what appears to be a Morpheus type character. So one of the things that came out of uh, the Matrix Online was Morpheus actually died in it. So there was an article by PC Gamer that came out that said, you know, is does what happened in the Matrix Online uh, happen in the Matrix? Uh, you know, asking for Morpheus sort of thing. It, it was kind of cute. But, um, you know, are they going to keep some of those aspects from that? Because one of the interesting things that, that they included uh, within... Uh, that the the Matrix Online environment was, they called them Cypherites. So, you remember from the first movie, Cypher was the character that be he betrayed them. He was the Judas, and he wanted to get plugged back into the Matrix. So he had experienced the real world for ten years. Said, "I don't want it. I want to go back into the Matrix. I don't care if it's fake. I don't care if it's not real." To me, ignorance is bliss. I'd rather le live in the dream world than live in the real world. And so they included in that uh, in that game environment, Matrix Online, people that called themselves cypherites, people that were, they were red pills. They lived in the real world and they wanted to go back into the Matrix and not remember that they had actually been in the real world. Of course, the ironic thing about that was... Um, there was only a handful of people on Morpheus's ship <laughs> that knew what happened with Cypher. So how did the others find out? We don't know. Uh, but is that a potential issue? Is that a potential problem? You know, we, and, and that's kind of hard to think of because it's like this world's all kinds of jacked up right now. Who in the world would want to come back? But we don't know kind of goes back to you know the the original question there at the very beginning from from Lindsay of you know 
what does the real world look like? Well, yeah, what does it look like? What's it, what is it like? What do you experience there? What are the beings and people there like? I mean, you know, what if you, you get up there and everybody's just a jerk? Well, you know, maybe that's why a lot of us keep coming back down here because it's like, I've had it with those people up there. I want that just, you know, put me back in the simulation, boss, plug me back in and, you know, is that a possibility that you know we're we're down here because up there or you know, out there or whatever it is is you know has its own issues and problems um you know are we experiencing the the problems again as above so below i keep i keep going back to that are we experiencing the the issues of the home world or basically the issues of the universe are we experiencing those just in another way, in another fashion, it looks different, feels different, all that. We are experiencing the same dang thing down here, just in a little bit of a different view. It's food for thought, things to consider. Um, yeah. Tom needs to, uh, says he needs to watch The Matrix again, haven't seen it in years. Uh and here we go. Uh, Tom watched the movie The Secret. Uh, I'm using it to make positive things happen. You know, that does work to some degree. So, um, well, I mean, I do believe in the power of positive thinking, but the whole uh, parking space thing, I have made happen. There, There is absolutely something to be said for the power of your mind. So it is, you can hack the simulation. Um, I don't think it's foolproof 100% or whatever, but I believe you can hack it enough to make a lot of positive things uh happen in your life have a lot of positive changes in your life the the uh the idea of hey if i just think going into the uh you know driving to like the store and thinking i'm going to get a specific spot and i have done that before just visualize i'm going to have that spot and just pull into the parking lot hey there's that spot and boom um i have done that before so um yeah, yeah, definitely do it. Make positive things happen in your life. Uh, all right. So one other thing that I wanted to mention is we we talk about um, okay. So how do we how do we prove that this is a simulated universe? I think that's going to be very very difficult to actually prove. But you do see some inklings of that proof coming out. And then you have others try to tamp it down. But uh, this is a photo of the Anita Project in Antarctica. I'm actually covering this, if you can believe it, uh, a little bit in the Alaska Triangle, more in depth in the Connecting the Universe book following that. Um, but basically, uh, what this experiment is in Antarctica uh, is they're taking a stratospheric balloon uh, which points a radio antenna back at the Earth to try to detect radio waves that are emitted by high-energy neutrinos if they happen to strike an atom in the ice. I know it's kind of highly technical. Um, but when they did this back in 2016, Anita detected evidence of high-energy neutrinos coming up out of the Earth's surface without a source. And that's kind of the key, without a source, that they were coming up out of the surface this way. So some people took this in a very interesting direction when this was published. Um, new scientists stated, uh, explaining the signal requires the existence of a topsy-turvy universe created in the same Big Bang as our own and existing in parallel with it. In this, in this mirror world, positive is negative, left is right, and time runs backwards. So just, just to note, the people that ran the experiment did not say this proved there was a parallel universe with time running backwards. Somebody else came along, read those results of these neutrinos running backwards out of the ground without a source, and said, well... If that's true, then then what? Okay, they, they ask the question: What would it require for that situation to exist? Which it did. It did exist. You had you had the neutrinos running backwards out of the ground without a source. So what would, what would the situation have to be? And so that's where these guys at New Scientists were like, well, you know, it would require 
this parallel universe where everything's running backwards, including time. So, is this the beginning of proving out some of these different things, like parallel worlds, parallel universes, time running in different directions, proving out things like the Ouroboros, in that uh, things are running... You have the you have the snake going in one direction, the tail going in the other. They're meeting in the middle. Is that where we're starting to finally see some of these different things come to light? Some of these different scientific experiments. Now, again, those that ran the experiment were like, "Hey, those were not our findings. Those were, those were not our conclusions." But um, I do like seeing people thinking outside of the box when we see these strange, strange results from some of these different experiences so all right let me go through your uh, comments and questions here one last time um nicole isn't that kind of like saying prove there's a god uh yeah it's kind of like that it's kind of like that and uh that's always going you're always going to have people that are like it's the it's the doubting Thomas syndrome. It's like people do not want to believe until they actually see it and have concrete evidence. But even then, there are people that you know will see something with their own eyes and still won't believe it. But yeah, um, and then Sarah, what is the point of self awareness? Is it necessary necessary growth of self actualization? Well. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, when you're when you're talking simulated universe, what is act? What is actually self actualization? Then is it? You know, is it just becoming you know the best version of yourself in this world, or is it becoming or learning enough here that you are self actualizing yourself up in the real world, up in the simulation? There are ideas that. Um, you know, people are, their consciousness is spread out over multiple worlds, multiple universes at the same time. So they've basically jacked into multiple simulations. So I guess imagine if you're playing three different games at the same time, you have three monitors and you're trying to keep up with all three of them, you know, to experience all at the same time, which is kind of hard to keep up with, but, um, but, but there's a school of thought for that. Um, yeah, where does... And that's kind of the, um, you know, the... The question about the point of self-awareness. That's kind of the question of, you know, what is the point of it all? You know, what is it that we're supposed to be learning and doing? And as we're learning things and doing things, you know, what do we eventually do with that knowledge? What, you know... Where does it take us? Um, once we've acquired it, what do we do with it? Now, I'm of the school of thought that the things that we live, that we learn here on earth, you know, I can't take physical things with me, but I can take knowledge with me. And so I'll take that on with me, but I'm also of the school of thought that we need to pass it on to others that are here right now with us and for the next generation, that we pass those things uh, on what we end up doing with it ultimately why and that's that's a million dollar question that nobody has the answer for that big what's the purpose of it all i don't know um 42 it's the answer to life the universe and everything is 42. <laughs> um we don't know why we're we're going through all this and experiencing all this and you know what we're going to use this knowledge for for something that that's about as much as we've been able to come up with is that we're, we're using it for something um in the meantime i i can do the best i can do with it here and that is pass it on to to others that are here so it doesn't get lost over time so that others can take that knowledge and build on top of it and keep passing that on um but the the end game I don't know what that is yet. So, 
All right, everybody. Um, that is going to wrap it up for simulated universe, at least for today. We, we will come back to this again and again as we, because um, there's a lot to explore here. So I would, I would say expect more on this when the new Matrix movie comes out. So give it three months. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be inspired to talk about it again.